A warm word of welcome tonight to our evening service. We're going to begin with number 214, a well-known hymn we love well in our congregation, Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. Let's please stand while we sing.
Amen. That was very good singing to begin our service tonight. And we lift our voices and our hearts to the Lord in praise and thankfulness, for He has given us exceeding great and precious promises. And we are thankful to God that these are true and they are grounded and firm in our Lord Jesus Christ. They are not altering and they cannot change or move. And so we can be thankful for that tonight. Let's come to the Lord now in prayer for this evening's service. Father, what rejoicing there is in our hearts tonight that we can sing and open our hearts in praise as we echo and reaffirm the truth of Your Word, the precious promises that we have secured in our Lord Jesus. And we stand tonight upon the solid ground, a sure foundation, that no other foundation can be laid but that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And so, Father, tonight, fill our hearts with joy and thanksgiving. Help us to see and appreciate all of the mercies and blessings and provisions that have come to us and that do come every day, Lord, that finds us here in the house of prayer tonight. And yet, Lord, we know that of all the temporal things we see and enjoy, the spiritual blessings that are secured for us are so far better. They are so much greater. Lord, we know we have inestimable privileges in Christ. And I pray that tonight, no matter what's going on in any believer's life, that we will rest secure and faithfully receiving these great and precious promises given to us in the Word of God. Lord, I ask that this evening, in this service, we will be very conscious of the Holy Spirit's working as the Word of God is read, as we hear a message in song, as we open the Scriptures and look deeply into the Word again. Father, may there be handfuls in purpose to every heart. May there be blessing for us, instruction, help, comfort, encouragement, and correction, Lord. I pray that we might understand a a deeper grasp of the unity in the body of Christ. And the Lord, that we might hear the words of our Savior echoing in our own hearts that we would be one as Jesus is with His Father. And so, Lord, hear us tonight in this matter. Draw very near. We think of those that cannot be with us because of their age, because of some infirmity, some problem in sickness in the hospital or otherwise. Lord, be very, very near to them tonight. We think of our sister Joan. And we pray that she would know healing and blessing upon her, rejoicing again with Adrian and Teresa and the birth of little Augustus. Father, bless the whole family there and encourage their hearts. We're thankful, Lord, for Your hand upon Serene and upon our brother Ron. And Lord, we continue to hold these dear ones up earnestly in prayer. And others, all of them, we just 
bring under the umbrella of the blessing of God upon their lives. Lord, make use of each one of us in Your service. We want to be lights. We want to be salt. We want to be encouragers. And I pray that we will see the great work there is in front of us and have a greater vision of the kingdom of Christ and of why we have been brought to this time and this point in human history. It's not by accident, Lord. We are here by Your providential purpose. And I pray that we will have an understanding of the times, that we will be about the Master's business, that we will not fear the face of any man, but we will go confidently, Lord, knowing that we have been commissioned by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we bear and hear that great commission to go and tell My Word, go and preach the Gospel, and Lord, we will have precious opportunities opening for us. We will not be brash. We will not be, Lord, those people who are just going forth to make a name for ourselves. We don't want that at all. Lord, we want only to reflect our Savior faithfully. And we pray, Lord, that You will empower us every day, that we will go forth as those who are blood-washed and spirit-born children of the King. Lord, hear our prayer tonight. Be with us in our evening service in every detail. Remember us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing again, please, number 203. 203, we will stand as we praise God.
written by Charles Spurgeon. And you know, he was a man who believed very strongly in the sovereignty of God in salvation and also in the steps of a believer's life that we are to walk and live by faith. And yet very much he was a man also of experience. He believed that the Christian should be very conscious and sense the Lord with him in his life. And so he uses that expression in the fifth verse. He says, Obedient to thy will, we wait to feel thy power. And that's something very necessary for a Christian's life. And I know we are not to live by our experience. We get that. We know that from the Word. Sometimes we don't feel so great, but yet we know the Lord is conscious and is with us. But yet still there is that sense in a Christian's life, in the place of prayer, that the Lord, as He draws near, that we want to experience His presence with us. We want to be conscious and know Him, walking by our side, encouraging us in the place of prayer, encouraging you, believer, tonight as you have gathered in the house of God that you will sense the Spirit's voice speaking to you and opening the Bible to your heart. Other than that, well, sometimes you wonder, why are you in the house of the Lord? Why do we gather for prayer? Uh, We gather because we come to worship the Lord and we come to sense, experience His nearness with us each and every time. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. If you were with us on Wednesday evening in our prayer time, you will recognize this is the psalm that we read. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom, and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, the glorious majesty of his kingdom. 
For thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat, their food in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfieth the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh. He is near unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. May God bless and write His Word upon our heart again as we have read this, and pray it will be on our minds and hearts. Welcome to our evening service tonight. If you are in person and if you are online, you're very, very welcome. As I mentioned this morning, a word of thanks for your prayers for my visit last weekend to the church in Cloverdale and uh, remembering our brother Simon as he will, he preached there this morning via Zoom and we'll take the evening service tonight at 9 p.m., There are three hours difference of time for the church there. So do pray for our brother that he will know much help from the Lord and have the right word to give to the people there to encourage their hearts. Remembering also the work in Port Hope and our brother Cranston needing our prayers and brother Gallagher speaking there in that service, in that church rather today. We had an enjoyable day yesterday First of all, the skating from 11.30 to 12.30, and then a time of fellowship here in the church afterward, and it was good to see so many people out. Very good to see Raj out there skating. First time for him. He just arrived from India a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's one thing to see a little bit of snow, but to get out in the ice rink was also a good thing, so we're happy that our friend made it out there and was doing pretty well for getting out the first time, and uh, some others also uh, out on the first time, but it was a good time of fellowship. And thankfully, no injuries, no broken bones, nothing to worry about there. Even Brother McAnally, he was staying on the sideline for a long time, but he just couldn't take it anymore. So he had to go and strap the skates on and get out there, uh, arm in a sling and all. And, uh, but he enjoyed that, and thankfully he didn't come down on the, on the bad arm either. Please remember, after the service tonight, there will be a young adult choir practice. And then on Wednesday evening, our Bible study and prayer time at 7.30, and the gym fellowship Friday night at 6, and then next Lord's Day, our services at the regular time. Please don't forget to pray for all of our ministries that are going on here at the church and in our school Whitfield is a very busy ministry from Monday to Friday, and it's a non-stop 
operation. And so we continually appreciate and covet your prayers for that very important work that God has raised up and put under our charge. So we want to remember that in prayer. And then don't forget to keep in prayer the upcoming ministry that we have in May here of our presbytery and prayer time that our church will be hosting. At this time of our service, we're very happy our sister Betty Wimelachandran is with us, and she's going to bring a ministry in song.
Well, may the Lord give us grace that we will do just that and to obediently follow Him. Sometimes the path of the Lord may not be crystal clear. Sometimes He may be taking us in a direction that we don't quite understand at the moment, but to walk by faith and to walk in trust. It means that He will never make a mistake, and though our understanding of that may be a little different from time to time, yet still the Lord leads us faithfully along. Thank you, Betty, for sharing that with us tonight. Much appreciated. Number 679. We'll make this our congregational hymn, 679. We'll stand to sing, God is here, and that to bless us with the Spirit's quickening power. Let's stand to sing.
Please turn in your Bibles now to the book of Acts, chapter 17. Book of Acts, chapter 17. Reading from verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar unto this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth life to all, and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the, all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He is not far from every one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Forasmuch then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God or that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this Ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead." And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them, howbeit certain men clave unto him, and believed, among the which was Dionysius the Aeropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. 
Let's bow, please, for prayer. Father, as we are still now with the Word of God open, may all our hearts be open to receive this Word. And especially, Lord, we pray for any here in our building or listening online that are unsaved, they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray, Father, that the Spirit will work tonight in their hearts. Help me, I pray, to speak the Word of God faithfully and clearly so that no one would misunderstand. Hear this prayer, Lord, and bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. We read from Psalm 145 on Wednesday night past. When we were thinking about this, I was making some comments on verse 18 of that psalm. It says, The Lord is near unto all them that call upon Him, to all them that call upon Him in truth. We were feasting on Wednesday evening of the great blessings that are given to us from this psalm and how it is exalting the Lord and His character and nature, speaking about the Lord being great and greatly to be praised, speaking about how gracious the Lord is and good. And of course, all of these attributes and characteristics of the living God, how very precious they are to those people who know Him. And if you know God tonight, if you know Christ as your Savior, then you enter in to the truth of these words. And you have experienced the nearness of God to you. You have invited Christ into your life and heart. You've experienced what it is to be saved by His grace. And we know the Lord Jesus with us and in our hearts and lives. And so we can say, yes, I sense the Lord near me. As Spurgeon wrote in that hymn, God, I want to feel His presence near me. And there is great peace that that brings in our hearts. There is great joy in our souls to experience that as children of the King, being brought from our unsaved position into a place of receiving Christ as our Savior and then knowing that we belong to Him, knowing that He is our God and we are His children. This is a tremendous blessing that the psalmist speaks of here. And every person that calls on God in truth, in the reality of His Word, Why? This is a tremendous experience and blessing. And you wonder, how does that connect up with Acts chapter 17? Well, there is a very real and vivid and living connection here because of what the Apostle Paul, what he was trying to communicate as he went to Athens. 
And this missionary in the New Testament, he was trying to convey the message to these people who did not know God. He was saying to them, God is nearer to you than you experience and you know to this point. He is only a prayer away from you. Will you come and call upon Him? Would you make Him your God, your Lord and Savior? He is ready to hear your prayer. But let me back up a little bit to the context of Acts 17 so you have a bigger picture of what's going on. Paul the Apostle was on his second missionary journey. He had come to Athens in Greece. At that point, he had sent the other missionaries away, and he was there alone, and he was preaching the Word of God wherever he could. As he was preaching the Word, it had sparked interest among the various cults that were in that city at that time. And he was taken from the Agora, which was the marketplace, into the Aeropagus, which is known as Mars Hill. He was invited to go there and speak more in detail about the message that he was proclaiming and preaching. Athens, you see, was a very prominent city of those who were, well, they claimed themselves to be intellectuals. They would have sought themselves to be those who investigated the unknowable matters of the universe, of man's destiny, of philosophies, of humanistic ideas. And so people got together and they would just put forward on the table everything they thought about God, everything they thought about all gods. And they had an opportunity to speak these things. It was a center of great demonic activity. And where the devil flourishes, he presents darkness as if it was light. He presents error as if it was truth. Because he wants to keep people in the bondage of their own darkened soul. He does not want them to come to light. The proliferation of demon worship that pervaded and controlled the entire city, it really agitated the apostle. He was burdened about this. He was troubled by it because he knew the truth and the light and he saw all these people in the darkness groping about, trying to find answers. And he wanted to speak the Word to them. And once more, this unique contact that he had with philosophers and humanists, it helps us and it gives us a picture of New Testament evangelism. It shows us how this man of God went about with a burden in his heart for those who were unsaved, 
They didn't know Jesus. It tells us how he went about sharing his faith. And brothers and sisters, tonight, you and I will take a very great step forward as we read and study and try to comprehend the New Testament model and pattern for us to share our faith and to speak about our Lord Jesus. We learn from the context of the portion we have read how this man engaged his hearers. Because if you're going to speak to people, you have to get their attention. And he got their attention all right because he found a point of context. And on Mars Hill, and where he had been, he saw an altar that had a name on it, the unknown God. So he found a point of contact, a personal evangelism point. And so he began there. His approach was not combative. It was not harsh but it was respectful. And he started by saying that he perceived they were very or too superstitious. Now, in our uh, understanding of that, we would say that's rather an offensive way to begin. But he was saying to them, you are very superstitious people. And that word superstitious... It's interesting, in the original, it means demon-fearing, or it means strongly religious. So he was saying to the Athenian people, these philosophers, as he met them, wow, you people are very, very engaged in your religious activity. You're very religious people, strongly religious And so you could immediately see now that they would not be offended by that. As a matter of fact, they saw it as a compliment. They saw it as this was not an insult at all. In Greek mythology, they glamorized the battles that were supposed to have taken place in the underworld with the gods. Well, they thought of Zeus and Thor, Achilles, and about the war of the Cyclops and all kinds of mythical stories like that. And so, for Paul to say that they were demon-fearing, it was like a badge of honor. Of course, they would not have understood such demonic worship from a biblical perspective. And Paul, acknowledging their attention to these spiritual things, he also went a little further and commented about their devotions. He said he observed their devotions, which means their habit, their focus, their gravitation to worship. They had a hunger for something that was outside of themselves. They had an interest. This is one of the key evidences, you know, that is very evident in people across this globe. There's a spiritual dimension. Something more than just the physical makeup. The awareness in man that there is a higher power. 
There is a deity of some kind. There is an intelligent designer. There's something out there that's beyond us. I shared with you a few weeks ago about the man that I spoke to that did not think he needed religion at all. Nice guy, very friendly and helpful. But as he thought of his own life, a life lived by good works, and he did not need anything else. And I told him, and what do you contemplate when you think about the meaning of life and of something beyond yourself and of a higher power? And he had no answer for that, really. Because those are, de- are very real thoughts that come into the minds of people. There is something beyond me here. There is a meaning to life. There is something more than I do not yet have a grasp of. If man has simply come from a lower form of life, in other words, by mere chance, and he is nothing more than a makeup of cells and amino acids, something purely on the material form of matter only, then, of course, there's nothing else out there. Man who believes such a thing, why would they have any attention to something that's out there? Because according to them, we are purely material, purely matter. We are brought into this world, we live for a few years, and then we die as a bug would be squashed, run over by a car tire, Nothing different from what would happen to us when we die. We just go to the grave and there's nothing else. And even though people would propound such a thinking that deep down inside there is still an awareness, an understanding that there is something more. Paul then draws their attention further by setting before their minds that altar that was made unto the un known God. The word unknown in Greek is the word agnostos. And it means, of course, we get our word agnostic, which simply means a man doesn't know. So if if there's someone out there and they call themselves an agnostic, they're declaring that they don't know if there is a God and they don't know if there isn't a God. They just claim they don't know as opposed to those who claim to be an atheist, where they declare and determine there is no God, and they are certain of it. So this altar to a deity they did not know, it was used as a tool by the apostle, and a tool whereby he preached the gospel to them. This did not mean that the idol actually represented the God of heaven, No, not at all. Paul was just saying, I see this idol, I see the inscription on it, and I'm going to come and share with you now that God that you do not know of who is the living and the true God. Let us follow such a pattern when we are witnessing and let's pray for God to open up illustrations for us to use to people. For Paul then stated authoritatively that This idol that represents what you do not know, I will declare the living and the true God to you. The identity 
That's what I want us to think about tonight. The identity of the unknown God and that as we observe how Paul defines and explains the true and the living God, it will encourage us who know the Savior to both trust in Him more fully, to testify Him of Him with more authority and purpose. And then, friend, if you are here tonight and you do not know the Lord Jesus, that you will be brought to trust in Him and the living and true God as your own Savior and Lord. The nature of Paul's message to the Athenians, it was really unlike any other sermon that he had preached because normally he went to the Jewish synagogue, first of all, when he went to any town or city, and he would preach to the Jews. And if they received it, he would keep on going. If they rejected him, he would go to the Gentiles. And that was his manner. But here he is finding himself in the presence of these Gentile people. And so his preaching started at the very beginning. They had no knowledge of the God of the Bible. And he wanted to introduce to them, who were completely ignorant of it all, and ground zero. That's where he began. And oftentimes we will find ourselves in the same place. We're coming to speak to people in our country, in our city, in our place, and they know nothing of the God of the Bible. You have to start at the beginning. You've got to go right back. And so what does he do? The first thought we are thinking about tonight is that Paul preached in the identifying of the unknown God. He spoke about the existence of this one true and living God. Look at verse 24. The opening word, as he begins his sermon, he states, God. That's a good place to start if you're going to speak to someone and declare who the Lord is. He does not attempt to prove that there is a God actually, but he simply declares that the one who is the true, the only, the living God, he is. He exists. He is a real being. Much argument is taken up trying to prove the existence of God. But you know, at the end of the day, all such arguments, they, they often seem to boil down to who's got a better debating skill than the other guy. And that person seems to win the day. And while the arguments to prove the existence of God, they do have some validity, the Bible simply declares that God is. That's what we're told in the book of Hebrews. God is. The existence of the God of the Bible. And my dear friends, as we are sharing our faith in a godless world, let us be very convinced that there's no point trying to argue someone from their atheism into a theism position. 
we must simply declare to them that there is a God that is presented in the Word of God and we are declaring His being and His existence. If someone will argue with you or deny that there is such a being, well, you may continue as you desire to witness to them, praying that you will have a testimony, that you will have the opportunity and ability to explain those things. Let's not be under any misconception. The Word of God tells us we are to declare Him. We are to declare that God is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That's the starting point. That's where we must begin. People who deny that God exists and they claim that we have come into being from lower forms of life through all the processes of evolution, their faith actually is a greater faith than those who come to believe in the God of the Bible. For they have to believe in something that is based upon very, very faltery evidence. But as we come to God's Word, we come to the evidence of creation and of man and of our being here. These evidences are very precious and they are real. And to a redeemed heart, we come to say with all our conviction, with all our heart and soul, God is. And we are His servants to declare His being. But Paul went on. And he said, this unknown God is the Creator and Lord of all. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He makes no apology to these Athenian philosophers. The one and the living and the true God, He is the Creator of all things. He is the one who has brought everything out of nothing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. My dear friends, never be ashamed to make that declaration. Oh, the scoffing and the laughing and the ridicule that will come, let that grow off your back like water of a duck and never let it bother you. You declare on the authority of God's Word what you know is right and true because it's not our declaration. It is the declaration of the very God of creation. It's the declaration of the One who has given us His truth. In the beginning, God created. Let us stand firmly upon that solid rock. And as we stand there and make that declaration, we will, we will know the presence of the Spirit of God with us. We'll know His help. This He declares in so doing the supremacy of the God of heaven. He is the Creator of all. And then 
as a result of that, all are accountable to Him. This is a doctrine that man hates. The natural man cannot stand the fact that there is a so-called Creator. They will come up with every excuse, every example, every justifiable reason to explain away the Bible, to explain away the God of creation. They do not want to come face to face that there is an intelligent designer behind the design that we see, behind the very world that we live in, behind all the intricacies of nature, of the human body, of all the universe, of the stars of heaven. No, they don't want to acknowledge it. Paul says, this unknown God that you have an idol to, I declare to you, He is the God that has created you. He is the God that has given you the breath that you are breathing. He is the God that is allowing your heart to beat and to cause blood to flow through your system. He is the God of all life. And you are ultimately accountable to Him. And you are ultimately accountable to His Word and His law. And there will be a day that you must give that account. Friend, I say that solemnly to you tonight. If you are, if you are not a believer here, if you don't know the Savior, He is the judge of all. And one day we are going to stand to give an account before the Creator of all things, of all life of all being. There is no life outside of Him. There is no power outside of His power because there is no being outside of His existence and permission. But that's not where Paul ended. He went on to speak about this God being the sustainer of all life. In verse 28, for in Him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Here was another masterful move by the Apostle in his testifying and witnessing. Now, it meant that he had done his own study. He was a historian. Paul had studied these Greek philosophers and poets. He knew something about them. And of course, the more that we know about the people that we are engaged with, well, the more it will aid us to respond to them. And if they come with some questions or accusations, it'll be good to know as much as we can about them. But here the Apostle, he brings one quote, one line out of their poets. That's even they said that humanity is the offspring of God. We have come about into this world by the very gods. Now, of course, 
The Apostle is using that as a very important stepping stone, as a lever, because he wants to share with them that the unknown God is not just the sovereign, the Lord of all, and the Creator of all, but He is the one who keeps and sustains all of life. Friends, when we think about the complexity of all of nature, and we consider how detailed all of life is that is interconnected, and how our life is so interconnected in all of the operation within our very body that gives us life. It goes beyond our ability to fully explain. And the more science delves into the mystery and the majesty of the human body, they, they, they face one obstacle after another. They think they know that parts of the body are, well, not necessary anymore. They're part of the evolutionary process, and you could just do without them. And yet, things that they declared were unimportant or not needed, the more they study the human body, the more they realize that those things are important. They are valuable. They are necessary. The more that man goes into the study of cell biology and the design of the cell, the complexity of what they once called the simple one-celled creature, they realize today that there is so much they never knew. And it is so detailed and so deep, so complex. They're finding out more the deeper they go into their examination, the deeper they go into trying to comprehend and understand the complexity of the human brain. Well, friends, all of these things tell us the wonder and the majesty of the God who sustains and gives all of life. Evolutionary biology and the, those who examine it, they try to boil the mystery of life down to simply material things. And they say, if you put enough of this together, combined with this together and something else, give it an electrical charge and life will come about. And though they have tried and tried and tried to do that, it is a failed experiment because life is something of an immense mystery itself. And we come to realize that God is the giver of life and the one who sustains life and keeps it. And if the living God was to withdraw His hand or His power from this world for a moment, all would collapse. All would stop. Because all life comes from the living and the true God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, tonight, you stop and think with amazement of the God with whom we have to do. Let us praise Him with all our hearts. Let us magnify the living God. Let us come and humble ourselves before Him and say, Lord, have mercy upon us. Forgive us for the way we have been so casual and so careless about thinking about these matters. The Apostle goes on, And the fourth thought, for he declares clearly that God is not physical, 
but God is spirit and pure spirit. Back in verse 24, he said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, note this, dwells not in temples made with hands. He doesn't dwell in buildings, neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. You see, friends, when we come face to face with this truth that he is a Godhead not made, verse 29 tells us, not like unto gold or to silver or to stone. What was he observing in front of him? What were the Athenians doing? They were worshiping gods of gold and of silver and of stone. And he takes those elements, those physical elements, and he is stating to them that the God I present to you is a God of spirit. He does not dwell in temples made with men's hands, not with that which is of wood or of stone or of silver. And we come to rest in this building tonight and we're thankful for our church. But God does not dwell in brick and mortar per se. God does not dwell in temples made by men's hands. But as we gather here, God dwells in His people. He dwells in our hearts. And we rejoice in this great truth. Paul says that we are the offspring of God. That means that we are created in His image. And that gives a dignity to man that was being destroyed by all material representations of Him. Paul masterfully quotes from their own poets, and he uses that to declare to them, we are created in the image of God. We are, we are the children of God, the offspring. We have come from God. He has made us. And that, my dear friends, lifts up and puts man on a pedestal that is above the animal kingdom. Because we are said to be made in the image of God, we are spiritual beings as He is a spiritual beings being, and we reflect His love and His beauty. We are to reflect His holiness, His character. We're to take these things to ourselves. Man is not an animal. Man is not made after the animal kingdom. But man is made after the image of God. And that elevates him. It ennobles a man. It lifts him to a, a very high place. And yes, we all know what sin has done. It has dethroned a man from being in that place of perfection and of the image of God. And we are sinful creatures now that need to be redeemed. But the Lord did not leave us in our deadened and sinful place he has sent His Son to be our Redeemer, that we would be set upon 
Christ. We are being made in the image of our Lord Jesus. That's what God is working in us, that we will be perfect as our Lord Jesus is perfect. He goes on to speak about God as the unifier of all mankind. God made man different, and He has made the blood of human beings different from the blood of the animal world. And the most amazing thing that we are told here of the Lord making, in verse 26, of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, this is a phenomenal and an amazing truth. Because in our congregation, we have people from every race and culture and nationality. And though there are four prominent blood types, it doesn't matter from where you come from, from where I come from. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. If we have and share the same blood type, then you can give me your blood and I could give you my blood and it would work in your body. And the Lord has taken all and distilled it down to a common plank because blood is the necessary element in the very life structure of humanity and of human beings. Racism is a great blight upon mankind. Racism is not a new thing. It has been around as long as man has been on the earth. It is a devastating thing. It has affected countries, nations, civilizations. Some have been destroyed completely because of one race rising up against another race. Genocide, the complete destruction of those who are not of the same kind, not of the same type, not of the same color, not of the same background. It is not of God, friend. Salvation is by God's grace. It's not according to our race. And in heaven, in glory, the blessedness of heaven is going to be those of every kindred, tongue, tribe, nation, race, color, however we want to describe it. That is a picture of heaven. And I believe within our congregation here, we have just that, a picture of what heaven will be like. We will not lose our identity and glory. We will be the people that we are on earth. God will take us and bring us into His presence. And He will rejoice having fellowship with those of like precious faith, but very different in the outward features that we have. And the Lord is telling us here, and Paul was sharing with these Athenians, mankind demonstrates or reveals differences 
but God has made it that we are all to be one. And friends, let us be very careful that in our operation as God's people, that we are very guarded and mindful that we are always fighting against, always opposed to any elements of racism, and that we might be examples of the believers. We might show the love and the glory of God. It will be seen in us and through us, His love. Oh, I know that that has to be fought naturally in every human being. Because quite frankly, every single person born in this world is a racist. Every single person, they want to promote their own kind, their own way. And that's part of the fallen nature of mankind in our sinfulness. But friends, when we have been brought to Christ and we have been redeemed by His own precious blood, the blood of Christ Jesus, then He has given us a new mind a new heart, a new perspective, a new outlook. And we need to have the outlook that God commands in His Word. And we come back to Acts 17 and this verse that the Lord God has made of one blood. He has unified humanity at the very core. And let us be careful and guarded that we do not disrupt that God has unified mankind. And this unknown God that Paul preached to them was the one that he was presenting before them. The sixth point that we have tonight is this. That this God that Paul was presenting was the righteous judge who was engaged in the affairs of humanity. The righteous judge. Verse 30. He said, And the times of this ignorance of idol worship, and as man would go about doing his own thing, God winked at or God put up with. But now He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What's Paul talking about? He is speaking about the Gospel age. He's talking about the Gospel coming now to all men. Not just to the Jewish nation in the Old Testament, but now it is being opened up to all men, uh, Gentiles of every dimension. And He is telling them, this is now the declaration that He has made. The righteous judge who is engaged in all humanity. And what is He doing? He is commanding all men everywhere to repent. My dear friends, as we are going about to share the Gospel, we must bring people face to face with their sin before a holy God. And how is that done? It's by presenting to them the, co the commandments of the Lord and how that every single commandment has been broken. We are sinners before a God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, there is a call to repentance. We know that our Lord Jesus started His ministry with that declaration. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repentance is a turning from sin. A sorrow 
for sin and a turning unto God. And friends, if you have not repented of your sin tonight, then you are still under the condemnation of God, the righteous judge. But as you have called upon Him, then you know that He has heard your prayer. He has forgiven your sin. But not only does Paul speak about commanding repentance, this God, but this Lord, this righteous judge, is one that calls all men to accountability. Look what he says. He speaks there about the judge, the world in righteousness. Verse 31, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. In Hebrews 9.27, we're told these words that it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. There is coming a day when all will stand before the judgment seat of God. And the purpose of that is to give account. And friends, if you stand before the Lord, the judge of all the earth, in your sin, then you will have to give account for your sin. You'll be judged for that. But if you have repented and you have called on Jesus to be your Savior, then Christ stands in your place and He declares you are free from your guilt and sin. Where is it with you tonight? Where do you stand before the Lord? For our God is the God of life. And I finish with this because in verse 31 he speaks about the resurrection from the dead. He speaks about that man by whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. He is speaking about the Redeemer. He is speaking about Christ. And He is speaking how God the Father raised Him from the dead. And that declaration of the God of creation, the God who is Lord of all, the God who is the sustainer of all life, the One who is the unifier of all humanity, the One to whom we are accountable, is the God of life, of resurrection from the dead. That means when a man goes down to the grave, if he is in Christ, he rises again unto everlasting life. When Paul declared that, there were mixed results. Because some of them said, huh, rising from the dead, this is nothing but a fable, nothing but a myth, and they left Paul. But others, they received the truth. They received that Word. And we have the names of, of two of them and others that were also a part of that Word. It appears in chapter 18 in verse 1 that Paul left Athens and he never returned again. 
but a witness was established. People were saved as a result of that interaction that day. A church was started. And so the evangelist comes. He preaches the Word. Some believe, and he moves on. But the work of the grace of God, the work of Christ in the heart continues. And we may never know, friend, your witness, your testimony that you give out to people, you might never know what becomes of it. But faithfully you have given the Word, and the Holy Spirit will faithfully take that witness, and He will use it to His end and His purpose. So never give up. Never think that your witness is in vain. Never think it's a waste of time to speak to people about coming near to God, coming to know Him, because those that call upon Him, He is near to them. And those people in that day, as they called upon God, they drew near to Him because they received the truth. And so today, friends, as we go about our daily life, as we pray that God will make us soul winners and that we would lead men and women to the Savior, may He use us May He go forward to take hold of us in our life. Let us present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and that we will be useful and we will be able to point men and women to the Savior. Let's bow, please, in prayer. Father, I pray tonight that the Word would sink deep as a seed planted in the soil of the heart of men and women, and it will bring forth a harvest that will be everlasting. Father, speak, I pray, to every heart. Help us as Your children to be about Your business Help us, dear Father, not to be sidetracked or sidelined. Keep us from falling or being distracted into bypath meadow. Fill us with the Spirit of God every day. Equip us, Lord, for Your work. Hear our prayer tonight. Part us now in Your fear and with Your rich and mighty blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.